You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 Samuel chapter 9. We have been in the story now of a great transition in the time of Israel's history. They are going from a theocracy to a monarchy. They had rejected God. This was not his timing. This was not his perfect will for them. And they demanded that they would have a king. And so God says to Samuel, the prophet, give them what they want. And so we come to chapter 9 and we're introduced to a man named Saul. We said last week that he's head and shoulders over all of those in Israel. And again, it's not as big of a deal as we may think. The average height was 5'5 five five back then. So he was maybe 6'2". Six foot, six foot Still not bad. Head and shoulders above everyone. And we learn from the life of Saul in that short space of the narrative that, that Saul was a good man. He was obedient to his father. He was concerned about his father's thoughts toward him, that his father would be troubled or worried about him. We see that Saul was a good leader initially. He could rally men behind a cause. And he was gracious in victory, at least in the beginning. But as we moved our way through the narrative last week, we we, we saw in Saul's life that although he was a good man, he was not a godly man. We must be careful this morning. We have a tendency to to think in our lives as long as we raise good kids, as long as we have good church members, as long as we have moral people, then we're doing all right. But my friend, that's not the case. God doesn't just want good people. He wants godly people. And there's a huge difference there. You see, you can be a good person and not godly. You cannot be a godly person and not be good. And Saul was a good person, but there was a disconnect in his spiritual life, and we'll see that throughout his entire life. And so we work our way through the narrative, and and it introduces us to just an average day in Saul's life. A young man, his, his dad is a wealthy farmer. They lose some donkeys, and so his dad says, Saul, go find the donkeys. And and we trace the story, and it's just this mundane, everyday, looking-for-stuff kind of day. And Saul is with a servant. They meet these girls. The girls tell him, the the prophet's here. If you go right now, you'll meet him. And everything just sort of falls in place. And in verses 15 through 17 of chapter 9, we get a little glimpse behind the scenes. And we saw last week that in our text, look with me, if you would, at verse number 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came. No one knows this in the story other than Samuel. And of course the Lord. Verse 16. Tomorrow about this time I will send a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. And in this story we have seen God's providence. He's been orchestrating every event in Saul's life, even the mundane things, to lead him to a path, to a place that God had anointed and foreordained. And for our lives this morning, whether we see it or not, 
whether we ever get verses 15 and 16, whether the curtain ever comes back, we know and understand as God's children, He is working behind the scenes. He is operating. He is orchestrating. This is our God. And then we saw last week God's compassion. He heard the cry of His people. And even in their stupidity, they were the ones that rejected God. And yet, He says, I've heard their cry. And I will send a man to deliver them from the Philistines. Our God is not indifferent to the sorrow and suffering of His people. Even when we put ourselves in bad places and bad situations. We said last week that Isaiah remind us, reminds us that he will abundantly pardon. He doesn't think like we think. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And so now we pick our, our way through the story. We come now to verse number 18 of our text. With all these things transpiring thus far, then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. If you remember from last week, the word seer means prophet. And what Saul is saying is to Samuel the prophet, can you tell me where the prophet's at? Again, apparent that Saul had very little interest in spiritual things. Samuel was probably five miles from where he lived, the greatest prophet since Moses. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me into the high place, for ye shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let thee go and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and all of thy father's house? And here Saul is introduced to Samuel, and Samuel says, Hey, listen, I am the prophet. I am the guy you're looking for. And by the way, the donkeys that you were looking for, the thing that consumed your heart and mind, that thought that you could not get rid of, I want you to know something. God has already taken care of that for you. By the way, the donkeys are found. Don't worry about it anymore. And for us this morning, there are thoughts that consume us. And God still speaks out in our storms and says, Listen, I know what consumes your mind. I know what consumes your thoughts. I have taken care of those things already. And then he makes a strange statement to Saul. He says, Listen, isn't the desire of all the people of Israel on you? And what he's saying is, their desire was for a king. All of Israel is looking for you to be the next king. And Saul is confused by this. He, he says, in essence now, in, in verse number 21, And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjaminite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribes of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? And what Saul is saying is this, Wait a minute, Samuel, I think you got the wrong guy here. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Remember that tribe almost annihilated because they were ungodly and hard-headed? I'm from that tribe. We're a small tribe. My father's clan is the least of the clans in that tribe. You've got the wrong guy. And if we're reading the story and we come to this point and Saul is making all these excuses, we would expect the, and the next statement to be from Samuel would be to take a big sigh. Ah, oh, Saul, 
listen, you really have a problem with your self-esteem here. Put on these headphones from my Walkman. They had Walkmans back then, all right? Most... Do you know what a Walkman is? How many folks, you know what a Walkman is? All right, good. All right, it was an old device that you could actually hear things on and you had a headset. Um, I had one back in the 80s, all right? It was really on the cutting edge back then. So put in your Walkman and put on these headphones. Saul, you have a trouble here with all these excuses. And listen to the headphones. And as he puts the headphones on, they say, you are a good person. Just visualize what you conceive, what you believe you will achieve. And it goes on and on. We would think at least the prophet of God would say something like this to him to encourage him. Or at least go through the excuses and say, wait a minute, Saul, you've got it all wrong here. You're not really from the least of the tribes, and God has looked on you, and you're a tall guy anyways, and you're good looking, and on and on. We would expect that. But notice the next verse after Saul makes all of these excuses. Here's what Samuel the prophet says to him. And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place among them uh, that were there bidden, which were about thirty persons. And Samuel said unto the cook, Bring the portion which I gave thee, of which I said unto thee, set it by thee. He completely ignores all of the excuses. I have a hunch that Samuel would not make a lot of money as a therapist today. You might have one visit with him, and and that might be the end of it. No excuses. It's as if he didn't even hear them. We've got to be careful, folks. We make excuses for everything. For everything we do, we have an excuse why we did it or why we can't do it. And the prophet here says to Saul, I'm not listening, man. I don't care about the excuses. Let's deal with reality. In the place that I ministered before I came here, my pastor at staff meetings would always use this line when guys would talk about why they didn't finish what they were supposed to finish. He would say this, Don't tell me about the storm. Just get the ship into port. I don't care about how bad the storm, I don't care if it's a hurricane. Just get the ship where it belongs. And what he was saying is this, I don't care about your excuses, just do what you're supposed to do. Christian, quit with the excuses, do what you're supposed to do. The prophet's not listening. And God wasn't listening. They were just excuses. Excuses. We go on in verse number 24. Samuel has just brought them into the parlor. There's a big feast that's set up. He tells the cook to bring the portion which he set aside, verse 24. And the cook took up the shoulder, that was the part reserved for the priest, and that which was upon it, and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold, that which is left, set it before thee, and eat. For unto this time hath it been kept for thee, since I said I have invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. And when they were come down from the high place unto the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. And they rose early and came in, and it came to pass about the spring or the dawn of the day that Samuel said to Saul, or that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, that I may send thee away. And Saul arose, and they went out, both of them, 
he and Samuel abroad. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. And so Samuel treats him graciously. They get up the next day. He says, listen, send your servant. I've got to tell you something. Chapter 10, verse number 1. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? And this is what happened. Saul is shocked now. Samuel says, I'm going to take this anointing oil, which was a sign of rejoicing, hospitality. But especially in Bible days, the anointing of the head with oil was this inauguration of a king, a prophet, or a priest. And so Samuel puts his oil on his head and says, Listen, Saul, God has chosen you. You are his chosen one. You are anointed. You were called out and picked to be the captain over his inheritance. Verse number 2. He's going to give him some instruction now. He's going to give him some signs to prove that he truly is the chosen one of God. He says, When thou art departed from me today... Then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelta, and they shall say unto thee, The assets which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, thy father hath left off the care of the asses and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? And we're going to see now that Samuel says to Saul, I'm going to give you three signs with lessons involved there to prove that God has called you, that God has chosen you to be king. And here's the first one. He meets these two guys, and what they say is, listen, what Samuel told you before, that the, that the donkeys have been found, it's true, your father has found them. And there are two lessons in this for Saul, and I think for us as well. Here's the first. The first is the surety of God's proclamation. God told Samuel... To tell Saul, listen, don't worry about the donkeys, they've been found. And sure enough now, Saul goes and finds it to be true. The surety of God's proclamation. We can trust his word. I want you to know something this morning. God's word is trustworthy. You can trust it this morning. And this was a lesson for Saul. Listen, whatever Samuel said as a prophet of God during this time, he was a mouthpiece of God. His word was true. Too many of us this morning, we base our life and our actions on how we feel. And the first thing we ask each other is this, Hey, how you doing? How you feel today? Can I tell you something? Sometimes I feel wicked. Sometimes I feel ungodly. Sometimes I feel like a hypocrite. Sometimes I feel like I'd rather stay in bed this morning. Anyone out there like that? Oh, you terrible people. What are you, you should be excited to get up in the morning and have a new day and come off to church. But we feel that way. Listen, it doesn't matter how we feel. And we come here sometimes and it's like, I don't feel good at all. So what do you got for me? It's not about our feelings. It's never about our feelings. We don't live our lives by being dictated by our feelings. It doesn't matter. Our life must be based upon the verities of the Word of God, the truth of God. It's not how you feel this morning. It's what you know. It's what you know. Can I remind you what we know from the Word of God this morning? 
For those of us who knew Christ, we know that we've been redeemed. We know that we've been purchased. We know that we've been bought with a price. We know that we are justified. We know that we are sanctified. We know that we are glorified. We know that we are forgiven. We know that we are new creatures in Jesus Christ. We know that we've been adopted. We know that we're sons and daughters of the King of Heaven. We know that He someday will come and take us home with Him. That's what we know. You see, and it's what you know that dictates how you feel. Let what you know decide how you feel. Don't base your life on your feelings. We must base it on the Word of God. Stop looking within. Start looking to Christ, the living Word. Look to the written Word. That's where we find our strength. We stop looking within and look out to Christ. Corey Tenboom said this, Look at the world and be distressed. Look at yourself and be depressed. Look at Jesus and find rest. That's the word of God. And what what Saul learns here is that God's word is true. It is trustworthy. We can trust it. But not only that, this, this little encounter also gives him the lesson that our God can solve our problems. His problem were these mules that were missing, man. And Samuel says, Saul, don't worry about it. God has already taken care of those. God has already solved your problems. I want you to do something this morning. I want you to look at the person next to you on the right. There you go. If there's a wall, don't look at the wall. You look silly. All right? Look at the person to the left of you. Okay? Look at the person behind you. It's scary. I know. That's what I see. Okay? Okay. Can Can I let you a little secret this morning? Everyone that you looked at has problems. I'm not talking about facelifts. I meant, I'm not, right? It's not, but I mean, but really, the truth is, in this auditorium, in this room, we all have problems. We all have difficulties. We all have struggles. There are things in the recesses of our hearts that we never tell anybody. We have issues. I'm here to tell you from the authority of the Word of God and from the lesson that Saul learned that day, it's true for us, that our God can solve those problems because He has already solved our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is sin this morning. Because the wages of sin is death. And we will all die physically, and those without Christ will die eternally. And the greatest problem that mankind faces today, God has already intervened. He exploded into our world. He's provided the solution. And at the hill of Calvary, mercy and justice met. And Jesus Christ took the wrath of my sin and your sin upon His head. And our greatest problem was solved on a hill called Calvary. And so this morning, listen to me, we all have problems. The greatest problem has been solved and God will will solve all the rest of them. In His time, in His way, they will all be solved. The second encounter now that Saul has after this 
We find in verse number 3. Verse number 3 says, Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, and there shall meet thee three men going up to God, to Bethel, one carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute you, and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. The second lesson that they learn, or, or Saul learns from Samuel here, is that our God can supply our provi- for our provisions. You remember as they were looking for the mules, they, they, they were struggling, they were out of bread, they had nothing, and so now they, they, they leave, and Samuel says, listen, the second encounter will teach you that the God that you serve will provide and supply for your provisions. When I, when I read that this week, I was just reminded of the words of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6 as far as providing for our provisions. Wherefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Wherefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And Jesus speaks to us today and says, Listen, I will supply your provisions. Now, now we think sometimes that God has to supply my wants. And everything that I want, that God should be like this genie in a, in a lamp that I rub and I make my wishes. No, that's not our God. But he has promised to take care of our needs. And Saul learns this lesson, and we must be reminded of this lesson. And here's the third encounter now we find in our text. Samuel says to Saul, After this, verse 5, Thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines, and it shall come to pass that when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tabret and a pipe and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. What he's describing here is a praise team. Okay? And there, there's a bunch of guys, they're all together, they got their, their tambourines on their hips, and they're praising the Lord as they're walking down, and Saul's going to run into these guys. Verse 6, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. And let it be, when these things are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. And what happens next is that Saul learns this lesson, that God's Spirit would endue him with power for service. And here we find Yahweh, who is inspiring these prophets, is the same one that gets a hold of Saul's heart and turns him into another man. 
And we're reminded this morning that God uses the most unlikely people and gives them what they need to effectively serve Him. I want you to know something this morning. Our God, by His Spirit, is able to make us able. He is able to make us able. Listen to what he says. Romans 8, 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The text we read earlier today, 2 Peter 1, 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Listen to me this morning. As believers, God's Spirit has been given to you to make you able. No excuses. You can be the man that God has called you to be. You can be the woman that God has called you to be. You can be the husband, the father, the mother, the grandparent, the neighbor, the friend. God has given us His Spirit to enable us to serve Him. And so these are the signs that are given to Saul. They're signs for us as well today. But I want you to notice something now in, in verse number 9. And, and this passage is really confusing to me. And for a number of reasons. Verse number 9 says this, And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. So he says, Everything I told you that happened, would happen, did happen. And now, from verses 10 through 17, he reiterates only one event. Not the, the meeting those two guys and, and telling about the donkeys, not the three guys um, telling him about giving him the bread. He just reiterates this last event where he meets this praise team. And let's just look at it this morning. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, the company of the prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass when all that knew him before time saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets, then the people said one to another, what is this that is come unto the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? And one of the same place answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? Um, and this is strange. I, I told you earlier that Saul was not known as a godly man. And so he meets this praise team, they're praising God, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes upon Saul, and he starts praising God and singing, maybe grabbing a tambourine, I don't know, but he's, he's involved in this thing. And while he's doing this, the people who know him say, wait a minute, is that, is that Saul? Is Saul among the prophets? We, we would use the phrase maybe, wonders never cease, what in the world's happening? This was so unusual, especially for Saul, that people were confused by what was happening. I wonder this morning, if we had some guests come in, and they were your co-workers, your neighbors, your family members, and they came in and said, hey, I'm the pastor, good to have you, and they looked around and they saw you here and they said, is Saul among the prophets? You mean that guy? That girl, they go to your church, and it's not like we knew that. It's like, I would have never known that. I would have never guessed that they were among God's people. That's a scary thought, isn't it? It's something we ought to consider. 
This was so out of character for Saul that they said, what? What? what is going on with that dude? Is that Saul? We know Saul. We work with Saul. We work for his dad. We've seen him out on Friday. Is Saul among the prophets? It was very confusing. And so he does this little song and dance. They're confused. And it goes on, and that's the end of the story. And it's strange. And, and let, me just, let me just push this a little bit this morning. Because there's several interesting things that I find in this passage that I think will help us understand my main point. Go back to verse number 5. I want you to see something interesting there. He's telling him when this happens, you're going to come to the hill of God where there's a garrison of the Philistines. A garrison of the Philistines. Philistines were God's enemies. They were the ones who were oppressing the children of Israel. A matter of fact, when God promised to deliver his people, just in the last chapter, he said, I've seen what the Philistines have been doing to my people. I will raise up a man, and we know now that man is Saul, to deliver God's people. And, and, and Samuel tells him that, and then he says something very interesting. He goes on to verse number 7, uh, and, he, and he says this. And number 6 says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, which by itself is interesting. Does that ring a bell? Okay, think about this. We've been going through the Old Testament. We were in the Judges not too long ago. Can you think of a character who this phrase, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and when it did, things happened. A matter of fact, let me give you a hint. It was one of the judges who dealt with the Philistines. Who would that be? Samson. The same phrase that is used for Samson about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him is the same phrase that is used here for Saul when Samuel says, there's a garrison of the Philistines in that town that you're going to, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And then he says something very interesting in verse number 7. He says, And let it be, when these signs are come upon thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. I'm not sure about this. But I'm telling you something, as you read the context of what's happening here in, in 1 Samuel 10, it seems to indicate that, that Samuel said to Saul, listen, the Spirit of God's going to come upon you, and when he does, there's a garrison, there's a garrison of the Philistines there. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, like it did to Samson, do what your hand finds to do. Take him out, man. I, 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 really, I don't think I'm stretching this this morning. The, the command was, when God's Spirit comes upon you and He fills you, just like the judge of days gone by, Samson, take care of this. You get the music, you get the praise, things are happening, and then go up and do what God is pushing and forcing and moving you to do in your life through His Spirit. And the story just ends. And it ends and people are confused. Is Saul among the prophets? And let me submit to you this morning. I believe, as we look at the text... The reason they're confused is that because he was filled with God's Spirit, he was part of the praise team, but did not finish what God had called him to do. It's the beginning of Saul ignoring the Spirit of God. And you know what it produces? Confusion. Confusion. This morning, we who know Christ are filled with His Spirit. 
And his spirit has not been given to us to show off, to draw attention to ourselves, to glorify ourselves. It's been a seal. We're sealed by that Holy Spirit. But that spirit has been given to us to be his witnesses. To be empowered by him to proclaim his glory, his grace, his kingdom. Not ours. And I have to wonder sometimes, if we, like Saul, who have the Spirit of God, we come and we praise Him on Sunday, but it's really confusing to the rest of the world because there's nothing going on in our lives. There is no testimony. There is no witness. Not from our lips, not from our lives. There is no evidence of the Spirit of God continuing to produce in us the fruit of His Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. There's none of that happening. There is no witnessing about the glories of Christ, that I serve a risen Savior, that He changed everything in my life. It's not just about going to church and being part of the praise team and hitting the tambourines and bounding the drum. And I'm, and I'm telling you something this morning. When we as God's people who are filled with His Spirit are not operating in that Spirit... It's confusing, man. It's confusing. And this morning, let me encourage you, encourage myself, to walk in the Spirit, to obey the Spirit, to listen to the Spirit. When he says to be kind, be kind. To be compassionate, he says to be compassionate. To show love, to show mercy, to be a witness. Not just to give our testimony, but to give the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. We live lives that at the end we're going to say things like, yeah, I should have, I could have, wish I would have, but I didn't. And it brings confusion. Confusion. What are we living for this morning? God's Spirit has been given to us for a purpose. I'm talking this morning to teenagers and 20-something-year-olds. You will never have more strength and energy than you have now. I promise you. I'm testifying this morning. Right? You have strength. You have energy. You have it all. Listen, what are you doing for the cause of Christ? By His Spirit, your strength and energy, what are you using it for? What are you doing? Or are you just confusing the world because you show up in church and nothing's different Monday through Saturday? You have strength. You have energy. You have a life that you can give to Him now. Don't waste it. You will never be as energetic and strong as you are in your teens and 20s. Now for some of us who are past that point, we are in midlife. Right? Can I tell you, I'm tired in midlife. I'm I'm tired of being tired at times. Right? But you know what? I have a little, I hope a little maturity now, a little stability. I've been at this for a while. I've been here for 13 years. I mean, I I have something now that I can use for God's glory and God's kingdom. He can still use me. I'm not dead yet, nor are you. He didn't call you to sit. What are you doing for His kingdom? What are you doing for His glory? Pastor, I'm not a preacher. I'm not not talking about that. You are a spirit filled saint of God. And He has called you for His glory and His kingdom. 
Don't just sit back. Do something. Don't confuse the world. Let them know whose side you're on. Don't worry, old folks, I haven't forgotten about you. (laughs) We're just old, we can't do. Nonsense. Nonsense. I, I dearly miss Marjorie Carr. Because I know she prayed for me every day. And I know others do, but there's something about a sweet 90-something-year-old woman telling you I'm praying for you. God's not done with you. You can pray. You can encourage. You're done raising kids. They're all out of university. You're finally back on your feet. Your house is paid for. You have time. You have resources. You have something you can give to the cause of Christ. And so this morning, let's not cause confusion. I believe that this was an opportune time. Doesn't, doesn't Samuel's speech to Saul just say, man, you're going to get there, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you, he's going to change you? And when he does, there's a garrison of Philistines there. Do what your hand finds to do. And he misses it. And he doesn't do it. And we can now watch the trajectory of his life go right downhill. Is Solomon the prophet? Man, you're confusing me, dude. Christian, brother and sister in Christ. No more confusion. We're on the winning side. The end of the book, you read it, haven't you? We win. We win. Allow God's Spirit to use you to further His kingdom. It's not your kingdom. It's not your glory. It has nothing to do with you or me. It's all about Him. I like what uh, Zinnendorf said. He said to pastors, he said, Preach the gospel. Die and be forgotten. It's about Him. And by the grace of God this morning, let us, as a body of believers here, Quit confusing our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, and our co-workers. If the Spirit of God lives within you, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.